Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. Just say no to family values. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic. I'm one of your co-hosts today, Pamela Bentley. And I'm your other co-host, Kevin Spenst. And our guest today is Leah Horlick. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, welcome. And as we like to do, we'll have you start with a poem. Excellent. So this is a poem called Ringmaster. And usually before I read any pieces from this, if you feel like this is bringing any stuff up for you, you might want to just Google WAVA or Women Against Violence Against Women and give them a call, talk a little bit about what you heard and what was bringing it up for you. Okay, some, so that's also a good way to let people know there might be some mature content. Yeah. Because you know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, you might be in the middle of your day driving around drinking your coffee. So don't want to spring anything on you. This is called Ringmaster. There's an alleyway and a secret place, and you know it's right because the books tell you as an invert all your love stories begin in hiding. And you love her because she is angles and shoulders, twin blue yard lights for eyes, how her teeth gleam sharp when she throws those hoops in the air, how the listeners leap to twist through them, flames so close they singe your hair. She wears a horse's bridle on her left wrist to signal she is not to be kept, and she blisters under its chafe. One night you reel her into a corner with a bandage. She says she thought you were going to kiss her. She doesn't love women, but anything could happen. She has a talent, dreams the future, won't reveal the one that wakes her with you in it. But it's closing night. She has an empty seat, passenger side with your name on it. You say, of course, because you have a backpack, a matching ring of red skin around your wrist, and you thought you'd never find her. Mm. That was lovely. Beautiful. Thank lovely. you so much. Um, I love For Your Own Good. It's an amazing book. And I've used it so much, taking oh. it to workshops in different places. Thank you. That, well, you're welcome. It's disappeared somehow. <laughs> As it has moved from place to place to place. So the other day I was just looking up poems online and um, I read this one that you just read and I, I loved it. And I, the question that comes to me related to this poem is, um, what do you see as or do you see any dangers or difficulties for writers who are tackling or dealing with the subject of love, sex, romance? Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a great question. Super, super fraught and something I definitely struggled with uh, as I was writing the book. And I owe you a copy. I'll, I'll get you a new one for, <laughs> for toning around with you. It's so tough. You know, I think my biggest struggle kind of commencing the project was thinking no one's going to want to read this because there is so much poetry about love. There's so much writing about sexual violence in particular. Um, I would hate to see a world where we think we're saturated with that kind of content. But I also know uh, about the realities of emotional capacity. And, and I 
definitely have to adjust what I read based on what I'm feeling, what I'm living through, what's going on at work, all those pieces. So I was just totally terrified that no one would read this book and that hasn't been the case so uh, I feel fortunate yeah and you know the the early poems something I've I notice about the arc after I've constructed it is it the I think the most difficult part of the book is right at the beginning and then later on I notice some of the poems towards the end are, are they just have a different feel so sometimes it helps and and especially in public readings too like I like to do a little content warning right at the beginning and let folks know this is the territory we're going to be entering into um, and know that I'll bring you out of it at the end so there'll be a an, an escape route as it as it were <laughs> and the talking about the romance and the love and the and other things that you had written before mm-hmm. this other books that you've had have been in that territory as well yeah the book that we're talking about is for your own good that's what you're reading from and it was published last year last year yeah in april the publisher caitlin press yeah okay. fantastic caitlin press i just read another book that was published by caitlin press i just read chelsea rooney's oh Petal. i have it on my nightstand i can't wait to read wow, it wow it's it's have you read it kevin you're nodding your head it's yeah, you've started. I've had it in my home for quite a while, yeah. and my um, roommate and I talked a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. She's such a powerful but it's writer. Really well written. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was a page turner. I kept turning it. So there, um, Caitlin Press is putting out some good, difficult yeah. stuff, writing by mm-hmm. women that we haven't read before. Mm-hmm. So what made you? Did you have this idea, and then you sh- shopped it to them, or did they ask you about it, or wh- how did this book come about? For well. It was quite a quite a journey. I think start to finish, if you include the life experience that generated the mm. the story of the book, I think we're looking at about a seven year process. So that's that's a long haul. The book was what I worked on in my masters with Ria Tregabov at UBC, mm. and then I was just beginning to shop the manuscript around when Andrea Routley approached me and was like, you know, we've heard what your book is about uh, and we're willing to take it on not only as as a manuscript, but just content wise, we're prepared, Um, which meant a lot at the time. Caitlin was, I think, an all women and all lesbian run press. And so to have their vote of confidence for a project that um, one could reasonably expect will create some ripples in the community because the book centers on the issue of Mm -hmm. domestic violence in the lesbian community. Really, really worried that there was going to be some nasty either what you might call like second wave pushback or just general resistance and and shame around the idea, which I think is part of why I wanted to write the book. You know, we see a really big lack of services geared towards women who are survivors of sexual violence by other women. And it's just not a story that you hear talked about in a particular way in the literary community. So, yeah. And did that happen? You know, it has not. There have been one or two bumps in the road where um, folks haven't known quite the questions to ask, which is to be expected. Like, I'm happy to take on a little bit of a an educational role. That's kind of something I saw the book filling as far as a need. Um, one or two, one or two you know, bumps along the way online. But if anything, you know, it's interesting. I noticed most of the pushback is from folks who are not in the community. And then on the flip side, there have been some some straight folks who are allied who are just totally receptive. And, you know, they have a friend who had the same experience or they've been working for a crisis line. And after the book came out, Wave actually gave me a call and asked if I could come and facilitate a clinic for all of their crisis line volunteers to adjust for LGBT sensitivity on the phone and stuff like that. So... Yeah, I feel fortunate. So far, it's been... I'm knocking on wood. (laughs) As this came out of your MFA at Mm -hmm. UBC, um, how many poems went through the workshop process, and how did that... Yeah. How was that for you? You know, I think... 
at least half of the book went through the workshop process for sure. And then when I worked with Rachel Rose, who's the editor, who was just an absolute dream, she really, really polished up the book. She requested a couple more poems to kind of fill in some some Swiss cheese holes in the in the narratives, which was very helpful. I haven't done a, a work of poetry that has a narrative before. Mm. So that was a, a really great experience. You know, it's tough in workshops. I, I often refer folks when they ask what my workshop experience was like. I'm like, there's a really great article by Juno Diaz in The New Yorker about that. That'll just kind of wrap it all up for you. But, you know, it's, it's tough writing about... Um, queer content, marginalized content as a marginalized person in a candlelight writing workshop. I think they're just, no matter how many safeguards you put in place, um, there there's feedback that comes from a place of really good intention, but just not knowing. And so when you're doing work that's around breaking silence, or even work that is not, but just is from a different lens or, or a different voice, uh, it can be tough to hear. I, I noticed a lot of questions around like, oh, your character is too specific. I'm just not really sure sure how I could relate to her, which I think is a kind of a, a frightening reflection on empathy mm-hmm. in a, in a mm-hmm. workshop, um, pieces around, uh, some cultural references that get missed. Um, certainly not from, from Ria and Rachel. That was really special to work with two other Jewish women writers. There were lots of pieces that they picked up on that were really great, but you know, depending where folks are at in their allyship, in their LGBT competency, um, there are just some, some things that wouldn't necessarily come to mind. Lots of stuff about gender, um, and also a great opportunity to challenge some heteronormativity. You just don't want to have to necessarily be doing that in a master's program because you're paying a lot of money to be there. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a learning process for a lot of us. Um, and I feel really confident, and very grateful to some of my colleagues, Chelsea Rooney, um, Esther McPhee, Aaron Flagg, folks who are really there to and, and present for those conversations. Yeah. yeah. There was two things that really struck me about this book when I read it. Afterwards, I want to talk more about the art, the artistic uh, part of it, right? Thank too, because yeah. I mean, you, you know, there's the issue, but then there's also the beautiful writing that you do. But the two things that struck me was the inclusion of if I read it right, the father oh, yeah. of the person that mm-hmm. the central character is involved with. So I thought that was really interesting. And the second thing that really struck me is kind of what you're talking about here. I remember back in, gosh, 1986 in Ottawa, mm-hmm. uh, one of my friends was assaulted by her lover. Mm. And it just tore our whole friend group apart because we were all very feminist. We were involved in women's centers. We were involved in uh, you know, sexual assault and rape, rape support centers and all the things that were going on at that time we were, were calling it what it was and then other people it, it just split everyone yeah. there everybody was on this side or that side you know that she asked for it like that was that was what they usually did that that wasn't really that doesn't really count that can't happen between women and all this stuff and and then I watched um, myself and a couple of other people go through really difficult relationships that were if not abusive, pretty darn close, yeah. right? And we ju- we just didn't know how to talk about it. We didn't know how to support each other around it. So I'm reading this book that mm. was published a year ago, thinking, <laughs> "Wow, it's like 30 years later." <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, and it just so. I mean, that's not really a point, a question, but I just wanted to. That was part of my experience of reading this book. Was like, Thank "Wow, you. okay, this is being written about, and has it not been written about in these past 30 years?" Yeah. You know. 
it's pretty wild, you know, the, the number of folks who have, I think something I, I really appreciate that I, I didn't think would come out of this is the, the cross-generational connection. Lots and lots of folks. I had somebody on, on Twitter find me who was like, thank you so much for writing this. I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and my moms w- were abusive towards each other. I had lesbian moms, and they were in an abusive relationship. And um, a lot of queer youth, lots and lots of queer youth reaching out and being like, thank you for calling it what this is, because I've had this experience so early in my life. And I think in particular, young queers are so at risk um, because of the kind of narratives we have about, you know, the lesbian utopia or, you know, you come out and everything's fine because now it's the 21st century and we don't have those problems in Canada. Those kind of like really neoliberal ideas about queerness are, are really harmful. And it's it's been really amazing to see how many folks have have reached out across those lines when in, in particular, I think it was especially folks in who were growing up and who were active during the 70s and 80s. That's why I was really worried about about pushback. So, yeah, it seems like and fear you gotta thank you. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty, pretty magical. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, let's hear another poem. Sure. Okay. We can always talk more after. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's see. Um, yes. Yes, let's do that. How about... <laughs> Oh, do you want to hear the father poem? Should sure. I do that one? Yeah, because yeah, so, then we can talk a little yeah. bit about why you included that. Thank you for bringing that up, too. That's nice. It's a, a piece people don't normally talk about. And it this, really struck me. Oh, I'm so glad. You know, and this poem actually is is thanks to a colleague of ours, Chris Gilpin, who had me do a writing exercise in a workshop where we imagined something that we were afraid of, very, very, very small in the palm of our hand. And this fellow just kind of walked right into it. And I was like, oh, hello. What are you still doing in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is called The Dream in Which Her Father Appears in of course you were afraid of him all that time coward throwing salt to the cows to prove you loved his daughter in this place all gravel and no water not even your own father did you ever call sir by you but you swore by it with him through the names he spat through faggot through pot liquor christ killer jewess palm-sized man you thought you could earn his approval When at last it settled around you, the horses would eat from your hands. Barn owls light on her shoulders. Oh, he knew you were a nice girl. How hard it would be when she left you for a man, he said. You tried to fix it, his broken fence, to lift the cord of wood into his pickup, polished gray as a barrel, and he called you pretty weak. He wasn't wrong. You weren't made to carry his family, their awful burden, their stolen land the drink and the unspeakable children have drowned here in the same pasture where the wild snapdragons grow the bees crawling matted and heavy with gold he's gone crooked old and still he crunches past them all in his black boots his barbed wire and spurs iron brand for what's his and a bullet for the ferals in time one of you would have killed the other you see him now at the foot of the coulee crotch bound shutting in the creatures for the night measuring time by what he does not do anymore. You see him, shrinking into the arms of his own hills, hidden, while you pull away slowly from this place where you never belonged or wanted to. Wow. Yeah, such a fantastic poem. Thank you. <clears throat> what strikes me about that and its amazingness is how it's expansive, um, thinking about territory and mm-hmm. colonization. Yeah. Um, but it also it reaches out in space and then also time generationally and thinking yeah. about um, that big picture, but then the details of you know crotch bound yeah. and those specifics are, are, are grounded so much. 
Um, one general question that I have and that I have had, as a writer mm-hmm. who's going through this territory, how do you take care of yourself as yeah. a person? Um, and does it make sense to create that divide between you existing as a writer and you existing as a person? I made um, little quotation marks in the air. <laughs> yeah, we're all hand else. talkers in here. <laughs> in flailing around, yeah. No, oh, that's a great question. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I do find it helpful, and I I notice it now because I... I don't think I did notice it before. I think it's very easy to get wrapped up in the idea of like self as writer. And a lot of the things that I think make us uh, writers are are really inherent qualities about ourselves and our values and our personality. And I think also at some point it helps to, to take a step back. I know I tend to be a serious person who takes herself very seriously. And sometimes you just have to watch some TV and <laughs> turn it off. And, you know, especially in an immersive master's program, I mean, I um, it took a lot of of time to kind of get used to the idea that it might not be good for me to spend two years revisiting an experience of sexual assault over and over and over again and maybe that was why I felt so horrible it wasn't just that grad school is a challenge you know so therapy for sure I definitely am a a big advocate you know I did a workshop with Louise Half it's the amazing um, former poet laureate of Saskatchewan really incredible indigenous artist at home and uh, we did a workshop once where she was like you know the writing will heal you but it's not the whole healing process and you really have to make sure that you have those other pieces so uh, mental health care super super important and having other things that you do I think for me in particular because I'm such a bookworm it's very easy to you know write for the majority of the day and then read for the rest of the day and you know all of a sudden it's midnight and you kind of forget how to go to the grocery store and look after the cat and those pieces so yeah I've definitely really relied on friends like the acknowledgements in this book is so long because they're were so many people who would just come and be like you will leave the house now now we will take a walk now you will go outside and look at a tree i had a joke with a a number of my colleagues too in the master's program who said the book after this is going to be trees and flowers a book of poems by leah horlick you know (laughs) i don't want to like trivialize it but it is important i think for people whose whose work kind of delves into the dark or difficult content really regularly to pull ourselves out of there um whenever possible and remember that this this isn't the whole life you know yeah. In the poem that you just read, mm-hmm. the physical world is so present. I mean, it's so much. We're so very much in the prairies there, yeah, um, or in farmland in somewhere by Saskatchewan, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that. That is also what I really love about so much of the writing here. All the little details, like the bridle around the wrist in the first poem you read, mm-hmm. um, the the salt and the the horses eating out of your hand, and the loading things into a truck, and just putting our putting us there with with you with that character mm-hmm. right? and also that the father poem really strikes me because we so rarely when we're writing about relationships and breakup poems and all that stuff we rarely consider how the family yeah. has made that person who has now hurt us or been problematic or whatever yeah totally i'm really glad you picked up on that and you know it's it's tough because I, I really struggled with that poem in particular because I, I feel quite strongly about what's the, is it Anne Lamott who's the if, if people wanted you to write warmly about them they should have treated right. you better and I had that tacked up above my desk when I was writing this this book but I, and I, I struggled you know I was like what does it mean to include a character based on someone's parent you know yes. what are the boundaries there around consent those pieces and what I ended up deciding on is that I think it was more important in order to cultivate some compassion towards the the antagonist in the book, I think it's important to know 
what the family that produced her and mm-hmm. that kind of trauma at an like an individual and a childhood level and to to take some of the responsibility for the internalized homophobia off of her character and right. just she kind of show the root of that. I thought that was that was important, especially yeah, no, for, for queers, that, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and you know, in, in relationships too, especially for, for queers where there's an element of secrecy or maybe your family doesn't know about your relationship, there's always kind of this hidden presence of the family around the relationship all the time. So it's it's as if you have a relationship with them even if you don't, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to include that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we hear another one? You also have another sure. book here. Yeah, so this is just a, it's a really lovely literary magazine called Nimrod from the University of Tulsa, and they publish two of my newer poems. So I brought those two just in case we want to Well, you can read fun, from so. another one from the book or this, and while you're yeah. deciding, I'll just let everybody sure. know that our guest today is Leah Horlick. You're listening to Co-op Radio, Vancouver Co-op Radio, um, 100.5 FM CFRO. Awesome. We'll do this one. This is an, a new one, but you know, it's if if the book had an epilogue, this might be part of it. You know, okay. Themes kind of stick with you. Um, things got very biblical after this book. <laughs> it's very weird. I was like, once we once we dig through layer of trauma number one, what's down there? Oh, hello. <laughs> so this is called "For You Shall Be Called to Account." And big thanks to Nimrod at the University of Tulsa for publishing it. The ancestors of everyone I've let into my body are gathered in a small room with one window, no lights. Yes, the room is crowded. Yes, there are no chairs. Yes, they are talking. Why are we here, says the Nazi resistor. Where are the chairs, says the Viking, no horns. Where is the light, say the people with their new French name hung around their necks, heavy like a long black cross. Here, says the Grand Wizard and a long white light descends in a point from the ceiling. The people of the oldest empire are here, too. They have brought their own fire, hidden. They can speak French. They know in an instant not to trust that light. They are opening a window. How do we get away from these people, they murmur. True Aryans, say the Nazis with their new French name. No one is speaking to the Catholics. There is a knock on the door. There is a door. More Nazis, how did this happen? Outside the open window there is a small huddle of shawls and feet and candlesticks, a suitcase and a cane. Someone has forgotten their things, says the Nazi resistor. The candlesticks turn into my great-grandmother. They're tarnished to coal smudges. The cane grows tall into my great Zeta. The shawl his mother. Suitcase and uncle with an aunt inside. The feet are just empty shoes. My cousins have already died. The small huddle of my family outside the open window begins to sink to a great distance. First one story, then a long drop. Someone spits through the open window. My great Zeta shields his face. Great-grandmother looks up. What are those people, she says, doing in that room? Oh my god! Yeah, wow. that's, that's heavy, but yeah. contained. Thank you. That room and those and that specificity again. So yeah. starting with all those generations that are then suddenly placed um, 
in this realm that we we see and that we can kind of follow in this fable would you say fable yeah. kind of quality yeah i think that's that's kind of what i'm hoping to explore more in this one i i owe you a big thanks kevin because i got to test drive this one for the first time at your poetry crawl which was delightful and then again at the versus festival with um richard wagamese and hanif willis of durakib which was about as high as the stakes get whoo that was an intense night but yeah it was it's it's been interesting to kind of explore you know themes of anti-semitism and and race certainly came up in this book and it's been interesting because for your own good has gotten virtually no jewish attention at all again i'm doing square scare quotes that you can't see but uh, and I've, I've got some you know disappointing feedback from people being like oh i wanted to um you know cover your book for this publication but it doesn't really actually have any jewish content and so it's been tough to say well it has me <laughs> ah, so, you know, I, and then I, I was exploring ideas of, of colonization and um, what it means in particular in mixed race relationships um, when the ancestors of your partner have probably ca- tried to kill your ancestors maybe multiple mm-hmm. times. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of digging into those ideas. And for you, mm-hmm. where did that poem begin? Was there any particular line or image oh, or feeling you that know, it, it came out of? That's a really, really good idea. You know, I've, I've really struggled. So one of my partners, my ex-partners, had a grandparent who was a grand wizard in the KKK. And so I've really been carrying that with me for the last while. And because that was also a pretty harmful relationship, you know, thinking about... Um, you know what it what it means to have folks who who carry that lineage in our midst. Some, some for some of whom it's very recent. Um, what it means to have sex with those people, and um, and how folks can take accountability for the actions of their family for which they're not responsible. You know how that how that happens. So that image just kind of had always stuck with me. And the line about the Grand Wizard and the long point of light um, has I've just been bouncing that around you know it's one of your darlings you just can't find the right place to put it and then um, I was doing just a weird little thought exercise about how terrible it would be if all of the you know grandparents of all of your your lovers ended up in one place and had a conversation with each other what a nightmare how awful Woo. Um, and then what what possibilities might come out of that so. yeah both Kevin and I visually visibly reacted yeah. at the beginning of that poem when you said that we both went oh because yeah. I was imagining it I'm assuming that you were imagining it. I was like oh my gosh right yeah. we won't even talk numbers no right well that's the other thing too is like how big is this room gonna be oh god yeah tiny house big house yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> Yeah. So we're starting to get close to the end of our time. Oh. So do you want to do another poem? Sure. I'll before do one we, more. Uh, yeah, we'll maybe go. have a little more chat and then a couple of uh, we'll announce a couple of events. Sure. This is just a delight. I'll go back to For Your Own Good here. Um, oh, this is a nice one. Here we go. So this is called Magic. All of a sudden, I know it's not going to happen. And panic, silent until I remember... You're not her. I could just ask you to stop. Except that you already have, and wait, and listen while my body tells me a very old story. You don't ask questions unless I want them, and I want anything but these red eyes that look out from mine like the forest, anything but this silence. When you tell me that this looks like strength to you, how you love this about me, I almost hate you. Why do you have to be so good? This has to be magic. How you hold me while I turn into a snake and fire and grief itself beneath you. Good magic, you tell me. 
and don't ask any questions until I want them. That is probably one of the most beautiful love poems I've ever heard. Oh, I mean, seriously, (laughs) like, you know, that's what you you do all the education and work and and honesty with partners and so that it doesn't take away the sexy time. Yeah. (laughs) We had a guest a couple of weeks ago who, uh, Coral Moore. Oh, Coral. And she bought your book after you, I was working the table, so I saw her. And when people came out of that with reading that you did with Richard Wagamese and um, Hanif Abdul-Akib, you, they, a lot of people bought your book. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. (laughs) And she has pieces about that, about Mm -hmm. like intimate partner violence and the difficulty and the, the, some of the same ideas you were talking about that, when you're queer and there's that secret secrecy around things like then how that can become fraught and how that can become dangerous but how it can also be healing and opening so i mean that poem i think captures that so incredibly well thank you without laying blame or you know like it's just it's really beautiful thank you yeah Yeah. it's like it's like a poem about conscious relationships or something yeah So, sexy I mean, poem, yeah, poem yeah, that's like sexy conscious, sexy times. <laughs> uh, that's I mean, that's why I was using that phrase because she used that, and I thought it was really funny and playful when she used it. Amazing. So I think that we're out of time. To what a hearing. treat this was! Yeah, yeah. it's been great. So we, it does, mm-hmm. it does. So today is August third. So what? events are coming up do you know about anything kevin yes august 8th is the van slam that's right Wednesday night amber dawn yay so i would imagine that one will sell out the doors open at seven but you can get there earlier and then they just count you and they come around the the cafe and ask if you're there for the slam because i bet there'll be a lineup by about 20 after seven Mm -hmm. she's pretty loved oh yeah yeah and then the show starts at eight okay yeah. Also, um, if you want some poetry in your life and some lettuce or fresh tomatoes, <laughs> there's uh, poetry at the West End Farmer's Market from 10 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon, August 13th. And that's with Shazia Hafiz and Jeff Studell and myself. Yay. And we will read or write or do something poetic. Is it every Saturday or are you just doing it every second Saturday? It's the one and only time oh. that we oh, will in August. be doing okay, that, cool. um, that poetry event at the West End. So okay, we've been doing did... it at other farmer's markets over cool. the summer. This <laughs> has been uh, Wax Poetic, and our guest today was Leah Horlick. I'm Pam Bentley, one of your co-hosts. I'm Kevin Spence, your other co-host. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what?